This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. If you've been in this sermon series with us over the last few weeks, uh, we have been in a series from the first book or the first letter that Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and the church is going through a very hard time. Uh, They're strong spiritually, but they have been through persecution, they have been through opposition, and Paul is writing a letter of encouragement, a word of encouragement to the church, saying, guys, hang in there. It's not all lost. Hope is not lost. We're, we're in this together, and he's encouraging uh, them. And last week, we had a beautiful word that God gave us. And even though I was shaking my boots and preaching that word, I know that that word was the right word in the right season for each one of us because we are on a path to what we call sanctification. And I pray that God will reveal that to us uh, day after day. So right now, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, if you don't know how we teach the Bible here, we follow what is called an expository uh, way of studying the Bible. So we take a book, we take a passage, we break it down, we go verse by verse, and we ask God to speak to us through the living word of God. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 9. You can open your, your Bibles, your iPhones, your Android devices, you can look on the screen, the verse is going to pop up over there, but follow with me. I'm I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow with whatever version you're reading. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Here's a question for you. Uh, and I know this is a mixed crowd. If we have uh, young adults, we have single people, we have married couples But whatever phase you are in your life, uh, you probably, somebody here has probably been in love at some point in time. Can you remember what it was, uh, what it felt like when you first fell in love? Uh, You know, where you you were always trying to impress him or you were always trying to impress her, right? You were opening the door for her and making sure that she sat down before you shut the door. Now you're just slamming doors, you know? (laughs) Vicky laughed first. I don't know, Jeff, what's going on, but... Just kidding. But man, the girls, you know how you were trying to impress your guys. You sat down for dinner and he asked you what you want. And you're like, I'm going to take a salad. And now you're like, you know, triple burger, like a cheeseburger. And you're like stacking all those patties up in your burger and, and, and gone are the days of the salads, right? But there was those times where, you know, you were trying to impress your significant other. And, and right now it's not the same way it probably used to be. And if it was, if it is the same way, kudos to you. But we always go through that phase in our life where we try to impress our significant others. 
how you undertook probably a long, uncomfortable journey, tired and hungry probably sometimes in order to spend time with your beloved. I remember back in the day when, uh, before Son and I were married, uh, I actually drove eight hours once from Dallas to Houston and back in one day just to have lunch with my fiance, right? That's where you go, ah, come on, guys. <laughs> it was her birthday, and I wanted to be with her, and we weren't married as yet. She was living in Houston, and I was here, and I said, you know what? I took the day off from work, and I said, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to go. I'm going to have lunch with her, and I'm going to come back. You, you go through extreme measures to make sure you spend time with people that you love. Nothing was too much trouble because the desire to please the one we love made all the hardships made all the inconveniences worthwhile to the T. Why? Because it is a person that you loved, a person that you were deeply invested in. When we begin to study a lot of what Paul is writing here in 1 Thessalonians 4, we begin understanding that the theme that he's using here in chapter 4 is one of pleasing God. We go to many extremes to please the people that we care about. It could be in our jobs, it could be in our families, it could be in our relationships. But when you care about somebody, you want to please that person. We talked about it last Sunday, last Sunday as well. There's this aspect of pleasing God that is so powerful. And as you got to, probably in a relationship, as you got to know each other you know, more and more and more deeply, you knew and you began to know what pleased her and what didn't please her. What pleased him and what didn't please him. When you wore your hair a particular way and she looked at you and said, hmm, I like that hairstyle. And then you wore it another way. Uh, this is when we, we had hair back in the day, right, Basan? Uh, and, and we wore it another way. And she was like, nah, that's not working. And, and you wanted to please her, so you did crazy stuff, and you combed it the other way again, right? But man, as you got to know each other, you got to know what they liked and what they didn't like, and in everything you did, you wanted to please. The word please is so important here. And here in this passage, he's encouraging the church to have what is called a good testimony, and what that literally means, if I have to break that down into one phrase, what it literally means is he's encouraging the church as they go out into the world after the Sunday morning service, after they're done being the Sunday morning Christian that they are, and they worship and they leave, he's basically saying, let everybody around you know Jesus through your walk. Let them come to know Jesus through your talk. Let them come to know Jesus through your character, through your personality, through, through your aura, through how you carry yourself, how you conduct yourself. Your testimony has to be pleasing not just to God, but it has to be pleasing to men around you. Why? Because in verse number 12, which is our last verse that we'll be talking about today, we'll start with that. He says, so you may walk properly before outsiders. Now, we'll come to that statement in just a second. What is the importance of a good testimony before man and God? And why is it so important for the Christian to have a good testimony? I'm going to leave you four principles that Paul underlines in these four verses. Is that cool? Someone say four principles. Principle number one of pleasing God or having a good testimony 
is love genuinely. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is loving genuinely. In verse number nine, the first verse that we're going to read for today, it's this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now the word used over there for brotherly love is this word called Phila or Philadelphia. It's where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of Philadelphia. We have a few people from Philadelphia in this room, right? I wish I could say go Eagles, whatever, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just Vicky, where's, where's other Eagles fans over here? No, nobody? Okay, okay, Elsa's there? Okay, I heard Elsa. Two, uh, it's okay. Your time will come soon, it's okay. But let's go Cowboys. Any, any, any voices here? Uh, <laughs> that's where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And he's basically saying, man, now concerning brotherly love, I don't need to write to you. What's essentially he's talking about here is the love of the brethren. Philadelphia is used to describe the love that believers possess for one another. The affinity that we have for other brothers and sisters, when, not just when we see them on Sundays, but when we long to see them throughout the week. For people that do not know Christ, for people that do know Christ. For even though they were members of different families and, and different backgrounds and different races, there was one thing that united them, and that was the love that they had in Jesus Christ. It's amazing how this church, this infant church in Thessalonica was captivated by the love of Jesus that they began loving everybody around them. They lived in a time where racism was rampant. They lived in a time where the color or the pigment or the amount of pigment that a person had in their skin was, was a determining factor in how they were categorized in socioeconomic standards. What time does that remind you of today? We live in times like that even till this day where racism is rampant. But in the middle of all of that, God reminds them that no, it's the love that I showed you when you were not worthy, when you were not deserving. That's the same love that you need to show everybody else. So them being the recipients of this love, they're like, man, we can't help but love other people around us. We have one of, our, one of our mottos, one of the things that we stand by in our mission statement is love as a church. And there's one thing that we always stand by is no matter who you are, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your background, no matter if you walked off the street, no matter if you have a, 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 a backpack in, on, on your shoulders and you have a sleeping bag and I saw you sleeping outside yesterday, it doesn't matter. You have a place at Commission Church no matter your social, economic background, the color of your skin, the way you talk, the language you speak, the way you dress, it doesn't matter because what unites all of us beyond the color of our skin is the fact that Jesus died for you and for me and because of that, I can't help but love you and that was a church in Thessalonica. And he was basically telling them, I don't even need to tell you about this because you are excellent in this. Doesn't that feel good when somebody comes up to you and says, man, I don't even need to, your teacher at school comes up to you and says, man, I, I was going to teach you this, but you already know this. So you know what? Let's skip this. You have a free day today. It, feels, it doesn't happen very often, but you know, it feels good if that ever happens. And that's what Paul is basically saying. He's saying, man, I don't need to remind you of this because you are doing excellent. You are doing great at this. Love unites us. 
right? They were from different upbringings, different denominations, different belief systems, but the common denominator was grace and the love of God. And he's saying, man, no, there's no need to write to you. You guys are excellent in this thing called love. You know, Calvin eloquently explains why explicit instructions were not needed for the church in Thessalonica. And he says, Paul didn't need to write further because love was engraved on their hearts so that there was no need of letters that were written on paper. It's amazing when you truly experience the love of Jesus It's not something that's just on paper. It's engraved in your heart. It's written on your heart. It's impressed on your heart. And because it's impressed on your heart, that's who you are to the world outside of you. You know what love for the Christian is? Love for the Christian is an involuntary response within the inner beings of the Christian that is revealed when the Christian who has hope meets a world that needs hope. That's what love in the Christian is. It's not a thing that you got to put on every Sunday mo- every, every Monday morning when you go to work. It's not a, oh man, I got to go love that person. A true Christian that has experienced the true love of God on the cross of Calvary is a person that wakes up with love and says, I can't wait to love on people today. This is radical, y'all, and some people might hate this. Some people might be like, this is weird, this is crazy, but I am preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what Jesus said. They're going to hate you for what you believe in. They're not going to like you, but you know what you got to do? You got to love. But God, what if they did me wrong? Forgive. But God, they did this to me. Still forgive. That's the radical love that Jesus shows. That's the radical love of the Bible. Right? And the Christian who has truly experienced it, and for those of y'all who miss this, I want to repeat this to you again. Love is an involuntary response within the inner beings of the Christian that is revealed when the Christian who has hope meets a world that needs hope. There's so many out there that need hope, that need love, that need a sense of belonging. And, and, and Jesus is looking at you and me today and saying, you have that within you. Don't hold it back. Don't be reserved. Don't have your boundaries up. Let it down. Walk into the world. Walk into your workplaces. Walk into your relationships. Walk into your families. Let people see the true Jesus that is inside of you. That is what Paul is telling them. I don't need to tell you because y'all walk around like you have Jesus in your hearts. You have Jesus on your tongues. You have Jesus in your step, everything about you screams Jesus. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, the Bible says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. You know what that means? That word compelled, and I've preached a message about this before. That word compelled, or that word that he uses, which says it controls us, is this word where, where something is taken, a patch is taken and hemmed onto a garment, where it's so stuck together that it's so hard to rip off. It's, it's like that. There's this piece of you that was missing. And there was a, peach, a, a, a patch that was attached and it was stitched so strong together that no matter how much a person tries to rip it off, they can't. And that's what love is. He says that for the love of Christ controls us. It compels. You know what that means? It basically says, I have no choice in the matter. 
Every person I meet, I don't look at them as Asian or black or white. I don't look at them by the color of their skin or how much money they have, or they're wearing Louis Vuitton, or they're wearing what is what, 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 Levi's, or they're wearing no brand. I don't, I don't care. Like whatever you're wearing, right? It doesn't matter. What did none of that? That's irrelevant. When I look at you, I don't look at any of that. I look at you as somebody that Jesus died for on the cross. That's what he's saying. He's saying, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we have all died. When I look at every single person, I see them as a sinner in need of Jesus. I look at them as a sinner that Jesus died for, and because Jesus loves them and died for them, who am I to not accept them? That's why he uses that word and says, for the love of Christ controls us. You know, a Christian who has experienced true love, the the true love of Jesus, bleeds this love and leaves a trail wherever he goes. And that's what he's been talking about. He's like, man, it's evident in everything you guys do. Man, y'all are leaving trails all around. One of the first Christian apologists, uh, uh, Tertullian, in AD 192, he talks about how pagans would remark in amazement when he would, they would look at the church and they would say, behold how these Christians love one another. Church, I don't want us to be known for people that lift up hands or people that sing loudly or people that have lights and music and bands and a person that gets up on stage and preaches a message every Sunday. That's not how we want or I want us as a church to be known. At the end of the day, I want us to be known as a church that unconditionally loves people around us. If that is our witness, we have succeeded in what we have to do because Jesus looked at us and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He equated that. He put that together, and he he said, if you love me, you will love them. And we can do that right. All of this other stuff will fall in place. The reason why we spend so much of time investing into our city the reason why we're invested into you know, blessing our city, it could be loving on our city, it could be in, in the food pantries around, it could be actually with the city of Plano and the city of Richardson and going to them and saying, hey, tell us about widows that need help. The reason why we picked two widows last year and said we want to go into their homes and we want to do stuff for them, we want to bless them. And, and, and the reason our teams, we, we, we actually canceled service on a Sunday morning and said we're going to take church to people's homes and we actually went, teams of us, we got together and we went to people's homes, two widows actually in Richardson who had got citations from the city and saying, you need, a, you need to do stuff in your yard. Your, your neighbors are complaining like trees were not trimmed and going into neighbors' yards and, and there was you know, grass and leaves lying around everywhere. We looked at them and said, hey, we'll come in and we will be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. And we loved on them. The tears that, that fell from their face. I remember when we, took, when we stood there, when we prayed for them. The tears that fell down from their faces when they recounted the stories of their husbands passing away. Man, it broke our hearts when they said, it's been a year that my husband's been passed away. We just celebrated his death anniversary and what you guys have done today, no one has ever done for me before. That is what I want you and me to be known for. No matter what you do in this life, I pray that somebody will look at you and say, they loved like Christ would probably love. Because my question is, how does the world see you? 
Are you bleeding love? What trail are you leaving is my question. How are, how, and, and he's saying, man, I, I, I don't need to teach this to you. I don't need to remind you of this because you are doing excellent. Why? Because God has taught you. It's amazing that when you understand the true love of Jesus, it's like God teaching you what this true love is. You're, you're taught by God. It's a lesson that you learn. The love God teaches is not a filia kind of love. It's an agape kind of love. So when people around you see a friendship love, what they don't see is what you see is an agape love where you're like, I'll do anything because that's a soul that Jesus loves. You know, in his first episode of chapter number three, uh, John, first uh, John chapter number uh, three, verse 13, uh, sorry, uh, in chapter number three, makes 13 important statements linking Christian love to salvation. So in 1 John chapter number 3 and verse 10, he says this, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor, listen to this, underline this, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He starts by saying that, he said, it is evident who are not children of God. If you do not love your brethren, he says, don't even call yourself a child of God. I'm not talking about your brother or your sister at home. I'm not talking about blood relatives here. I'm talking about when, when the Bible talks about brothers, I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the faith. I'm talking about brothers and sisters sitting in this church sanctuary right now. People that you have beef with. That you need to get right before God. In verse number 11, he says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 14, we know that we have passed all out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You see, we've passed from death to life because of what? Love. It's equated to love. I'll give you a few things, and I want you to, I want you to find the rest in that chapter. Three things are this. Number one, Christian love is the evidence of new birth. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have love for other people. Don't tell me, I'm an introvert, I don't love. No, 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 you can't, you, it doesn't work that way. If you love Jesus and Jesus' love is inside of you, you can't help, that's what Paul says, you, you can't help but love on other people unconditionally. The second thing is, Christian love is sacrificial in nature. He says that, by this we know that he laid down his life, verse 16, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Is that how we love people around us? Are we willing to drop whatever we're doing? If our brothers and sisters need prayer, support, help, are we willing to abandon what we're doing and head their direction? Because that is the love that Paul is talking about over here. And the third thing is this, Christian love is shown not just by words, but by action. Verse number 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We have a lot of talkers, less doers. Am I talking to somebody? If you say you love somebody, it's just not a love you, bro. No, no I don't want to hear that. If you love me, you'll be there for me. If you love somebody and you show that, you, you tell them that you love them, you will show up. It is time for Christians to show up. Someone say show up. Because talk is show off. That's, that's what it, that is. I mean, anybody can talk. Anybody can have a, you know, a huge resume. But it, it comes down to, man, is this truly right? Is, I, I want to see this in action. 
And there, there are 10 more. I want you to go. This is homework for you guys. Read the rest of the chapter and get the rest of the 10. Maybe, maybe or maybe not, we might have a quiz next week. So, Just kidding. 1 Thessalonians 4, coming back to verse number 10. It says, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. He's saying, don't just, don't just be like, you know what I love? I do this much, and I'm okay with it. He's saying, I don't need to remind you, so let me encourage you to do more. If you love a little bit, love a lot more than you are right now. Complacent Christianity is dangerous. Do not be okay with loving you know, as much as you are. Always ask yourself, what can I do more than I'm doing right now? Because here's the thing. Complacency is one of Satan's favorite ways to stunt Christian growth. By telling you and convincing you that you're, you're where you're supposed to be. And you're okay where you are. And you should be okay with don't be an overachiever. You just, just have your place. Be, be in your own circle. Be in your own box is what the enemy will try to tell you. Four principles. Principle number one, love genuinely. Second principle, write it down. Live quietly. Live quietly. Verse number 11 It says, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now listen carefully. Paul's use of the paradox is really interesting here. I want to break this down just so that we understand. He uses an oxymoron. And for those of y'all who don't know what an oxymoron, uh, an oxymoron is, it is a figure of speech, usually one or two words in which, which seemingly con- contradict each other, or it's seemingly contradictory terms that appear side by side. And you probably have examples of this. Uh, some examples are civil war. You can't be civil and have war at the same time. Another example would be jumbo shrimp. Right? Who knew that could happen? Uh, And then there's plastic silverware. Wow! How did that happen? Right? And then there's paper towels. How did that happen? Right? So, So this contradictory nature of phrases. And he's making a contradictory phrase when he says, aspire to live quietly. Or to break it down in the actual Greek that's used over there. He says, make it your ambition to have a quiet life. Be ambitious to not be ambitious is what he's trying to say. What does that mean, Paul? What are you trying to say, bro? Ambition, what is ambition? Ambition is earnestly aspiring to something. It implies a strong ambition. It implies a strong feeling of, of I want to conquer. I want to do this. I want to do that. And Paul was essentially telling the Thessalonians to be far, you know, far from that. He's saying, he's saying to be less frantic. He's not saying being less exuberant. He's just saying, man, you got to be less frantic. Stop being flashy and attention-seeking. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, I want you to work towards it. I want you to be ambitious to live quietly. I want you to try the best you can. I want you to work extra hard in order to not lean to the culture. Because what is culture telling us today? Culture is like, man, we want to see you live flashy. You want to you keep up with the Joneses. Uh, you have to make sure that you post on social media. Uh, every vacation you take, make sure that people know about it. 
right? As soon as you buy that car, post pictures from the inside, outside, standing in different poses. Make sure that people know. If you buy a house, oh, come on, somebody. Make sure that everybody and their mom knows that you have a house. Come on. Y'all are way too quiet right now. Uh, I guess I'm not uh, preaching to the wrong crowd, I guess, right? He's saying, man, stop being flashy and attention-seeking. What does a quiet life look like? Quiet is used in the sense of restfulness. He's basically saying, don't need to be always busy. That's what he's saying when he says quiet. What's the opposite of a quiet life, right? It means noisy. Always wanting to be heard or wanting to get our point across. How many of you know of somebody like that? How many of you are like that? (laughs) We always have people like that. Always attention-seeking. Always one of the loudest in the room. You always have that. You walk into a party, you know that somebody's there. You hear them from a mile away. They're, they're always the noisy, boisterous one. That's the opposite of what Paul is talking about. The attention-seeking mentality. Teachers over here know what I'm talking about, right? At school, how many of y'all have been there? Me, 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 teacher. I want to be the one that always wants the attention. Or it could be kids at home. Me, 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 I want everything to revolve around me. But here's the thing, whenever we shine the light on ourselves, it takes it off Jesus. As Christians, stop allowing the light to be constantly on yourself. Try walking away from it once in a while. I know you like try to pull back into it. I know you're like, but pastor, it looks pretty, I know it does. But Jesus ain't looking good when you looking good. He's not going to stop looking good, but people are not seeing him. They're seeing the light on you instead of seeing the light on him, and it should be the other way around. What's the opposite of noisy like, or opposite of the quiet life that Paul is talking about here? It talks about dramatic. Stop being dramified. How many drama queens in this house today? Of course you're not going to raise your hand. Okay, we have a few hands raised up. Thank you for being honest. Man, Christians are drama, y'all. It's quiet in here. No one's saying amen. No one's like, preach, pastor, preach. We got this. We need to hear this. Nope. If you've been in the church long enough, you know church is drama. And some people are gifted in the area of drama. Like they, 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 they think that that's one of the gifts of the spirit. Like genuinely think that that's one of the gifts. They're like blessed in that area. Like if they don't cause drama, they feel like they're not like not doing God's will for some reason. Christians love drama, man. If there's no drama, they'll try to create some drama. That's the opposite of what he's trying to say. The opposite of, of, of busy and the opposite of quiet is, is, is chaotic, always being busy. How many of us keep ourselves busy all the time? We don't have time for everything else. Like you're barely making it here on a Sunday morning and God's like, man, we gotta quit being busy. Those classes can wait and those, those engagements that you have can wait. All of that can wait. Stop being busy. The opposite of quiet is opinionated. So many of us, we have opinions. And now social media gives us a license to be opinionated. Come on, am I talking to somebody today? It's like Twitter handles you, gives you the license and says, go ahead. Tell everybody what's on your mind right now. Tell them that you're in the toilet right now. Like, like tell them right now. It's okay. That's what they're telling you. 
Instagram is all about self, me, look at me, give me those likes, give me those shares. Am I talking to somebody here? Facebook is look at my family, look at what I have going on, y'all. Look at the stuff. And it's always about how can I make this about me sharing my opinion? Am I, am I talking to somebody? But brother, it's right. I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta share it. I gotta, so, I gotta tell people about this. Otherwise, they're not gonna know about this. God's like, just calm down. Relax, chill. Not, it's, it's not all about striving or, or self-promotion you know, is what Paul is talking about over here. He says, try your best. He says, work overtime. He says, grind to make sure the light is not on you. Put the light back on Jesus where it belongs because the world needs to know Jesus. The world needs to find Jesus. And of all it's seeing is you and your selfish desires and your family and your job and your money and your car and your finances. Jesus is sitting over there saying, hey, y'all, I'm here. I'm not, just, I'm not your Sunday sidekick. I want to be your everything. And man, I pray in my heart that we will be able to point people to Jesus in this season because without Jesus, there is no hope. Four principles to have a good testimony. Love genuinely. Live quietly. Number three, M-Y-O-B. Mind your own business. The ESV is kind of kind. <laughs> Some translations, not so much, but in the ESV, it says, mind your own affairs. And I'm like, excuse me, ESV, I like you, but not right now because I really need to tell some people to mind their own business. What, that, what does that mean? It means you shouldn't be poking your nose in other people's business. You need to focus on yourself. It literally means that. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't care for other people. That's not what it means over here. But brother, we're called to love. You just told us that we have to be invested in people's lives, brother. Come on, somebody. Fine line, y'all. Fine line. I, I need us to understand this today. The Bible calls for us to bear one another's burdens. It is true. It is absolutely right. But we don't share burdens by seeking out other, other people's burdens. God will bring us the people that we need to pray for, that we need to help, that we need to support. Don't go digging your nose into other people's business saying, I'm here to help you. God will divinely bring those people to you. Like I said, you're going to understand the difference between the two in just a second. But 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse 15 says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Yep, check. Don't want that. Or a thief. Nope, not that either. Or an evildoer. Evil. Oh, no. Say no evil. Or as a meddler. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? You're talking about murder and thievery and evil doing and you're talking about meddling like poking my nose and other people like you're comparing that to all these other yup that's exactly what the bible says oh you didn't think it was that serious did you it is 
He says, stop meddling, y'all. Man, as a pastor, I am deeply involved in people's lives. I love it, love it so much. And I consider it the most utmost privilege that God has given me to stand, stand alongside people and, and families in their hard times, in their highs and their lows and their pains, in their tears and their sufferings, shoulder to shoulder, carrying burdens with them. And I always, always am available when people need me. And I consider it an honor. But sometimes people get nosy, man, because they know that you know everything. I always have people asking me about other people. And it comes in the most subtle way. What's going on with so-and-so? I haven't seen them in a while. I haven't seen so-and-so in, like, two. any idea? Hey, I noticed that so-and-so. Some people are so talented to ask the same question so many different ways. Haven't you been there before? And, and, and man, in my head, I'm thinking, bro, you should have been a journalist, not an engineer. And I'm like, you're in the wrong profession. Like, you should be in that NBA conference room asking these, you know how those, those people ask the same question, these NBA players are like, bro, really? Next question, man, kind of a deal. And some of them are so talented that way. Ask whatever way you want, but I see your intentions from a mile away. You can't fool a pastor. And you won't get a dime of information from me. And the reason for that is I value trust pretty high. And not just I, because I'm a pastor, I pray that each one of us, because we're Christians, should value other people's privacy. Come on, somebody. That's not an ancient thing. It's not, a, it's not a forgotten thing. It's something that we have to value. Part of the problem that, 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 that we have to admit in our culture is this problem called gossip. Can I preach? You sure? All right, you asked for it. We all know someone who gossips, right? Every, like, we know one person that gossips. Who gossips here? I knew it. I wasn't going to hit one hand. I'm guilty of it, man. Sometimes I get caught up sometimes, man. Gossip hurts and, and breaks relationships. And it's something that I don't understand. You know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says rumors are dainty little morsels that sink into a person's heart. Take that for a second. Gossip can get around the world and back before truth can put its pants on. Not only does gossip hurt and break relationships, gossip hurts the listener. Not only are you hurting someone, you're dragging someone else into the conversation and making them a part of something that they didn't want to be and they shouldn't be in the first place. Will you permit, you promote. I'm going to say that one more time. What you permit, you promote. And there's no ways around that. If you give a listening ear to somebody, you're basically looking at them and say, I want to hear, go on. When that, that person comes up to you and says, have you heard of Sister Bonnie and Brother Clyde? No, no. Tell me more. You're drawn in. Like The moment you hear something that you didn't know, what is your natural? Tell me more. Like how many of you say, nah, I'm good. I don't want to hear about Bonnie and Clyde. Give me your information. No, you pulled, you're naturally pulled in. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Like the moment the serpent walks into the garden and says, Hi. Tell me what you have to say. Like it's natural. 
It's very, very natural. Gossip hurts not just the listener, it also hurts the speaker. Proverbs 25, 9 and 10, it says this, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and you will never regain your good reputation. That's what the Bible says. Can I make a statement here? A gossip, gossiper, as some people want to call it that way, is a sick person. Sorry if I offended some of you. Gossip is the constipation of the mind and the diarrhea of the mouth. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) Because I'm standing here thinking, man, you're (laughs) telling... It's hard to recover from that, but especially when lunchtime is rolling around. Because I'm standing here thinking, man, if you're telling me this about that person, what are you telling about me to another person? Am I talking to somebody here? Nope, everyone's tuned out. They're like, oh, I know what you're saying already, Pastor. I don't need to hear this. Because I have to be careful now because if you don't hesitate to share with me something I don't need to know, right? I don't know who you will share about me. If I open myself up to you, I don't know who you're going to. When you talk bad about someone, it talks bad about you. That's what the Bible is saying over there in that verse. And you're sitting back and wondering why you have no friends. Bro, because no one trusts you. How do you stop gossip, church? Just stop it. No, I'll give you a few, few pointers here. Guard your ears. Guard your ears. Sometimes it's important to lovingly stop people from gossiping. How do you do that, right? Instead of just being, stop it. I don't want to hear. Well, that's not the loving Christian way to do it, right? It might be a question that you posit before them and say, why are you telling me this, right? Like, or some of y'all, that might be too harsh, right? For the New York people, that might be okay, right? They're, they're, they're pretty, like, uh, forthcoming. And why are you telling me this? Stop telling me this, right? Like, Bidu, that's going to be fine. Like, somebody like Bidu, he could get away with that. But for the Texan, Texans in this house, you're, y'all want to be, like, southern hospitality, southern nice. Uh, it could be a statement such as, have you had a chance to talk to them about this? Like, you're trying to tell me about somebody, but have you taken a moment to talk to them about this? I don't, or another way should be, I don't think I should be involved in this conversation right now. Because the question that you have to ask yourself is, are you the victim? Are you the person being spoken about? If you're not, it has nothing to do with you. If that conversation doesn't include Ashish, I don't want to be a part of that conversation. Am I talking to somebody? If it's not you, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. Stop telling people about it. I'm talking to all Christians today. Because here's what gossip needs. Gossip needs an audience to breed. Gossip just doesn't like flourish. Here, 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 here. Oh, gossip, I'm just caught up in it, brother. If you're part of gossip, you allowed it to breed. Your listening years. Come on, somebody. Allowed gossip to breed. Gossip is, is, is very toxic. Not, so, not only does it spread so fast, but it's very toxic. Some of you all are like, it's not gossip if it's, if it's true. No, it's still gossip. I don't care how true it is. I don't care if Facebook is fake, 
fact-checked it and given its, its validation on it. It doesn't matter to the Christian if it doesn't pertain to you, if it doesn't pertain to me, Oshoshit's gossip, do not talk about another person. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus addresses it. And Jesus talks about the conflict between two people. And Jesus says, go to them and talk in private. If it has to do with them, talk in private. Don't, don't, don't discuss this in public. That's not what we need to do. The second way you can do it is close your mouth. Proverbs chapter 21 and 23, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble is what the Bible says. Stop gossip before it even starts. Because what I'm asking is this, would you say what you're about to say on a Sunday morning from the stage, if you've given a mic in your hand, would you have that conversation with people all over the place with that person sitting over there? If you won't, that's probably gossip. Would you post it on your public feed on Facebook for the whole world to see? If not, that is gossip. Would you want someone to talk about you the same way you were talking about them? If not, that is gossip over the overflow, out of the overflow of your mouth is what the Bible says. Gossip will make you believe that you are strong and they are weak. And that's what the, the gossiper thrives on is that ability that I'm different or I'm bigger. But, but, but you are in desperate need of the gospel that will remind you that I am weak and he is strong. Man, many of us talk about other people's problems, so, or, or the mentality is if I talk about other people's problems, I don't have to address my own problems. I hope that a lot of us get caught, caught talking good about people rather than bad about people. Because trust me, you'll get caught either, either way. If you talk bad about people, you're going to get caught talking bad about people. You'd rather get caught. Like, what if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, it's great to meet you. Some, these people have been talking great stuff. Doesn't it feel good when you're having a conversation with somebody and they say, hey, man, so good to meet you, Jeff. I've met this person and that person. They have nothing but good things to say about you. Doesn't it feel good? But what if you have a conversation with somebody and they look at you, oh, you're Jeff. Oh, okay. I see you. I'll keep away from you. <laughs> now you know what they meant when you said, oh, you're Ashish. I'm just assuming, y'all. Four principles. Live genuinely. Live quietly. M-Y-O-B. Let's say it together. What is M-Y-O-B? Mind your own business. Fourth one. Work your faith. He ends this by saying, work with your hands as we instructed you. He says, get a life. Get a job is what he says. Because an empty mind is a devil's workshop. Is where you have time for all this stuff, all this nonsense. You talk so much. You're on the phone nonstop. You're on Facebook and Instagram. You're on Snapchat and Reels and whatever it is that you're on because you have no job. He says, do something with your hands. Put that brain to use. Am I talking to somebody? He's saying, do, like, have you ever had group projects, like when you were in school? I hated group projects. Because I was serious about projects, man. I was an overachiever. I was building stuff. I was doing stuff. I wanted to do what nobody else did. But the moment group projects came in, you knew that there was that one dude that did jack 
He's praising God for the group project because all he had to do was sit there and look pretty. But you were hoping that his number was not called. You know how it was one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and you're one and you're like, please don't be one. Don't be one, John. Don't be, not that John, but don't be one, John. John's the most hardest working person in this church. That's why I picked John. But don't be one because you, don't, you just don't want to be in the same team. Am I talking to somebody? Have you all never been there? Because I'm weird, I guess. I never wanted it because I, we did all the work and this guy just got A and all of the classes he's getting F's and this particular project he's got an A and I'm like, how? <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. I still, I'm working on a lot of uh, hatred that God needs to heal me from. And he's saying, man, do work with your hands because he's talking to a group of people that were just sitting back and saying, oh, they're loving. They're loving other people. They're loving genuinely. They're giving everything they got. Why do we have to? They're going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus. We'll just come and attend on Sunday mornings. That's what the group of people that Paul was dealing with because the church, the report came back and the report said, so-and-so is just sitting on pew number five. They show up on Sunday mornings. You know, they, they don't tithe. They don't serve. They don't volunteer. They don't do anything. They just show up and they leave. And Paul has got the report and he's like, bruh, work. You have time for all this other stuff because you don't do work. He says, stop being idle and lazy and do something for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my question is simple today. What are we doing so that somebody else will meet Jesus? Verse 12, I'm stopping with this. My first time stopping, by the way. John, you can come up, by the way. If you didn't get that joke, you were not here last Sunday. So, so that, verse 12... You may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is good, y'all. Relationship with Jesus is not an exclusive elite club. It's where insiders do everything in their power to show the world outside that they are welcome and they need to be in the club. It's not one that you show your card and say, oh, only members, welcome. This, is, this, is only this, this group only belongs to an elite group. No, no, no. Christians are a group of people that say, man, I will do anything in my power to make sure that the outsider comes to know what the insider knows about this Jesus that they don't know. The goal of the Christian should be to, ma to, to make an outsider and an insider. And how do you do that? Let them see your life. Would you stand up to your feet with me? Let them see your life. Because if all they see is gossiping and cussing and lying out of your teeth and stealing and cheating and being immoral, they don't want any part of that. Who are you trying to fool? A lot of us, I'm going I'm to say something real quick. Can, you, can everybody listen up? And this is going to be hashtag truth, okay? A lot of us are hesitant to share the gospel with people that we know because, you ready for this? Because they know the true you. And you're afraid that they will judge you because the message you're carrying and trying to share is contradictory the way you live your life. And I don't need anybody to say amen to that. 
because that's my life. That's how I lived my Christian witnessing. I was afraid. I was hesitant to tell people about Jesus. My friends, I, I would run away from that. I, I would share gospels with everybody else. But people that I cared about and people that were friends with me that I had access to and that I would have probably had a better chance of sharing the gospel with and them coming to know Jesus, those people I didn't have influence over. You know why? Because there was a life I was living in front of them that didn't really match up to the Christian life that I was trying to preach to them. So the problem is not with the message. The message is potent. The message is powerful. It always has been. The problem is with a messenger who needs to say, Lord, I, I need to do something, Lord. You need to do something in my heart. I want to be a model Christian that has a testimony that when I go out into my job, people will know that I'm a man that prays. Like, like I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you this morning. But son, do people know that about you at work? Do people know that about you in your friends' circles? Shall we do people know that about you? Jericho, the kids that you minister to, do, those kids know that you love Jesus. Each one of you. Wherever you walk into, whatever room you walk into, do, G, do, do people see Jesus walking in with you? Remember when Moses came down the mountain? That's how it should be. When you walk into any atmosphere. I'm not over-spiritualizing this. It's, it has to happen. It's, it's natural. And I'm not talking about this glow of light and this halo on your head. Don't misunderstand what I'm tra- talking about. Jesus reveals himself in so many different ways. It could be just the way you say something, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you treat your children. But I'm going to ask the worship team to just lead us in a few moments of worship, and I'll come back and close out. But Prayer partners, would you make yourself available this morning? Uh, there's something you're praying about. We want to pray with you. If you would take a moment today as a church, we've been praying over the last few weeks for Sonia's uncle back in Bombay. Uh, him and his wife had COVID and he was admitted into the hospital after that because of some complications and uh, his condition worsened over the last few days and yesterday morning we got the news that he passed. The hope of the glory, the hope of glory is that we know that he had a personal relationship with Jesus and that we will see him again soon. But the family is going through a very hard time and uh, Sonia's parents are here today, brothers here today. And um, if we could pray for them as a family, I would truly appreciate it. It's been a hard couple of days and... Uh, Let's pray for peace and strength. And Man, I thank God for safety in our church, on our members. I know it's been hard with COVID, and, but I know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And more than anything else, Jesus is in this place. The presence of Jesus in our lives dispels darkness. And today, no matter what you're going through in your life, it doesn't matter. If there's something you're struggling with spiritually, physically, 
It could be something with your health that you're dealing with. It could be a job situation, a relationship situation. Give that into the hands of Jesus. There's power in prayer. And that's why we spend time. You know, and, and Jeff and Vicky are here to join with you in prayer. There's something that you just need to come. And trust me, our prayer team is, is a team that loves Jesus. And like I was saying, we, we, we value privacy. We value trust. And these are people that will stand by you. They pray for the church every Tuesday. We, we join together and pray for each one of you. We're committed to doing that. And if it's not something that you're probably used to, can I just say that real quick? This is probably not something that you've been used to praying with people at church or your idea of altar call was probably when you gave your life to Jesus. But don't consider it that way. This is just a moment of prayer. And if you need somebody to pray with you, your family, pray with your, you know, about something that you're going through right now, come avail of this opportunity. If you want to stand where you are and pray, you're welcome to do Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.